Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. to get into this today. We started a new series last week called the Beatitudes. Say the Beatitudes. And, um, you know, I love to dig into some of these ancient teachings, these teachings of Jesus, reading through scripture and really digging in. And, you know, sometimes it's easy just to read over the surface of an English translation of the Bible and maybe not see the depth in which Jesus is presenting or whoever the writer is um, of the particular book. And so we're, we're really taking some time. This is out of probably the most famous portion of uh, Jesus' sermon. It's called the Beatitudes. And so each week, over the next few weeks, I want to kind of look at each one of these statements, each one of these Beatitudes. There, there's something for me that have really turned my world upside down. You know, when you, when you begin to see through the first century Jewish lens as to what Jesus was saying, when you begin to dig in to some of these early language words and begin to see, wow, what was really being said, what the depth and the meaning, what was below the surface, it really starts to rock your world. Jesus just has a way of rocking our world. He has a way of turning things upside down if we let him, if we're willing and able you know, within our heart to receive something more than just maybe the surface. And so that's what we're going to do. And, you know, let's just, I think the best thing we can do in situations like this is just be open and honest with ourselves, to be teachable, uh, to be open to something that might be a new truth. But I definitely think that there'll be some truths here that will change all of our paradigm if we allow it. That's the biggest thing, is we have to be in a place where we're ready and open and willing. Amen? And so that's really what we, we have been doing. And I don't, I don't really like to use qualifiers, but I do want to say this, that what I found is the things that Jesus says, they go, they go so against the grain of culture. They so, they so go against the grain of maybe what we know from our upbringing and, and honestly, even things we've been taught in church. Uh, th- because sometimes in church, and it's not just a particular denomination, the church since its inception has had this issue where we somehow begin to somehow combine law with grace or empire and political systems with the church. And what happens is it kind of convolutes things and it's hard to see the truth. And so let me say this. I'm just a messenger. I'm just someone who, who does his best at studying and, and to show myself approved, to study, to dig these things out. So if things kind of rattle you, blame Jesus, not me. But know that we can talk. You can come to me and say, hey, I was wondering about this. But I don't, I mean, some of you have come to me and we've talked and you've maybe helped me see a different way. I've helped you see a different way. But how many know Pastor Andy's door is open? Like, I want to learn. I'm teachable. So everything I'm saying to you is through hard work and study, but it doesn't mean I know it all. But I also know this, that Jesus turns things on his head. And sometimes it will challenge us. Most of the time, it will challenge our thinking on our worldview. And how many know your worldview is really made up of where you're from? You know, I've talked with uh, Michael Lusk. I have the privilege in a few weeks to go to Africa with him and, and do some filming. And it's going to be really exciting for the ministry to get some great things on film at the Crusades and different things. But, you know, something that we talked about is if, if the gospel you're preaching doesn't translate to other cultures and other worlds, then it's not the gospel. 
It could be an Americanized idea. It could be a Westernized culture thing. But listen, there's certain things that I could preach up and down. I could get you to shout and say hallelujah. But I go to Africa and they're like, what are you talking about? That doesn't even like register with us. Does that make sense? But I do believe when we begin to dig into these things, it's something that can apply to anyone, anytime in the world. Amen? So I want to get into this today. I want to go to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to just kind of uh, look at a couple of the verses. We'll look at this every week here, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up onto a mountain, and when he was seated with his disciples, they came to him. We see there's this group of people. It says, then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now, the reason this is important is I don't think that Jesus, especially when there's crowds involved, just opened his mouth and said aimless stuff that didn't matter. Right? I think it mattered. And so last week we talked about this idea that blessed are the poor in spirit. And we talked about blessed are those who mourn. To be honest with you, we're not going to recap any of that. Sometimes I like to do a recap. We just don't have time. I want to be able to dig into the next two. But I will say this. If you've missed any part of a series or there's something you want to go back and listen to, I encourage you to do that. It's super easy. You can go to our Facebook page. you got the archive right there, you know, live right there, video. You can go to our YouTube channel, Faith City Fenton, super easy. I would encourage you to subscribe to the channel. If you have a YouTube, you know, yourself, you're signed in, subscribe to that. Every time we go live, it'll come up. You can go to the feed and check it out at any point. And then also our podcast. Anyone here listen to podcasts? I love podcasts. We're actually on Apple Podcasts. So you can just go there, look up Faith City. Look at that. There's people like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's been years, you guys. But we're on podcasts, so you can look up uh, Faith City and not embarrassing anyone, but go ahead and subscribe to that. Uh, but also you can go to the website, faithcity.tv, and under Michigan Campus, you just click audio messages. That's right there. So you guys can go back and listen. But we talked about that idea of what it means to be poor in spirit and the importance of those who mourn. So check that out. But today we're going to look at two verses, verses 5 and 6. We're going to read these together. Verse 5 says, Blessed are the who? Meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, before we get into these couple statements, I want to remind us of this. Maybe you didn't hear this last week. If you did, it's a good reminder. Do you notice that Jesus starts out every single one of these Beatitudes or these statements with the word blessed? Now, the word blessed, it sets up each statement. And what I've seen through studying this is it's like Jesus wants people to know right away, right off the bat, that they have this opportunity to be blessed right where they are, right in this moment. This word blessed in the Greek is actually the word makarios. It's M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S, makarios. And it means supremely blessed, fortunate, and well-off. Now what's really cool, when you look in the ancient language and you look into the culture of the time, there's usually some type of story or something that lies just beneath the surface. And what's interesting to me is the word makarios here actually spoke of an island. It was the island of Cyprus. It was right off the coast of Italy uh, in uh, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. And people who heard Jesus, when he said this word, makarios, when he said this word, they would literally picture this island. And what's interesting about this island is it was an island that, that everything that you ever needed to live life was already there. 
It was self-contained. Whenever they heard the word blessed, whenever they heard this word in the Greek, it meant self-contained. It was this island. And so it was a symbolic statement where I believe Jesus was trying to get the listener to understand that they already had everything they needed through him. And get this, it was an internal reality. Now, if, if you've gone here for any amount of time or you continue to go here, you, you're going to see that we don't focus on the outward. We focus on the inward. I, heard, I don't know who said this, but I like what they say about the work of God. It's an inside job. Right? It's an inside job. Out. If you want to change your behavior, if you're struggling with an addiction, if, you just, if you're at a place where you're like, man, whenever that says it triggers something within me, see, we don't even realize sometimes it's a within trigger, and it makes me respond a certain way. The only way to deal with that outward is by starting with the inward. And that's what Jesus does with us. And it starts with his love. Love will change a heart. I know it's changed my, I say this from experience, it's changed, if, if there's anyone who hung out with me back in the day and they ran across me now, they're probably like, dude, what happened to Andy? In a good way. Because <laughs> that was an angry, low self-esteem, self-conscious person who was putting on a mask constantly. That's just who I was. Now, am I still working through the process of those things? Absolutely. But I know that today, I'm more, let me say this, the reality of who I am is so much closer to who God's made me to be. But that's the only, let me put it this way, the only reason is because I've opened myself up to the truth of who God says I am. It's, it's not because I've done special extra work. Now, there's work involved. I mean, no, just being open is work sometimes. I mean, come on, is anyone married here? Just being open is work sometimes. You know, you have to communicate, right? You have to get through things together, and that's any relationship. But I just know how it's changed my life. But Jesus wants us to see that everything we need for life and godliness is already there. Look at the person next to you and say, it's already there. It's not something you will be someday, but it's something you are right now. All of these statements, I believe, are statements that already belong to you right here and right now, again, Jesus, right off the bat, he's saying to people, everything you need for happiness, contentment, peace, joy, any of those things is self-contained. And I don't believe it's a challenge to become, become something that you are not. It's an awakening to who you already are. Come on, isn't that the gospel message, though? That was the message of Jesus. Repent. That word metanoia in the Greek means change your mind. We've turned into a dirty word, huh? Repent. You put A on it on the end, but repent. Ah, right? And it really feels like, man, I need to get to the altar now. But it means to change your mind. And when we begin to change our mind, Jesus says, change your mind. Why? The kingdom of God is within you. That's a powerful statement. It's within you. So how do we begin to see what's within us as in the kingdom and then begin to let that out so others can enjoy the fruit of the kingdom? Amen? What a beautiful statement. And so with that in mind, let's get started on the first statement. Look at verse 5 again. Blessed are the meek, say meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Interesting. Blessed are the meek. Now, I kind of want to have an open discussion a little bit here. What is the first word or the first words 
that come to mind when you hear or see this word meek? Anyone? Teachable? Okay, I like that. What's that? Timid. Okay, that's good. That's good. Anyone else? Weak? I was sitting at a, the table yesterday with someone, and they said, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of meek is weak. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what our culture does. Maybe a pushover, maybe a coward, someone who can't stand up for themselves. You know, I'm just, there's no wrong answer. I'm not, I'm not like writing your names down, and we're going we're gonna to grade later. I, I just want to kind of hear, and what I'm, what I'm feeling, what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing here, is when we think of this idea of meek, it's kind of just this weak Mamby-pamby, I'm not sure about myself. I'm trying to just be quiet and be humble, right? But the word meek in the original language is the word preos. And it was used to describe reigning in a stallion. So it's the idea of reigning something in. Now, how many are familiar with horses? Yeah. Some of your hands went right up because you, you actually ride horses. I've rode a horse a few times when I've been on maybe a retreat or something like that. was cool once. I think I'm done. <laughs> no, no. There's a reason, though. Have you, has anyone ever sat on a horse? They're powerful. Like, when you're, when, you're, when you're sitting there, you're like, there is a lot of power under the saddle right now. I mean, just when I was a, a kid, I, anyone watch, was it Black Beauty? Remember that Disney film, Black Beauty? And I just was, I mean, that color black looks so cool. And then the light off that shimmering black, you could see like every little muscle tone. I mean, they're beautiful creatures, absolutely gorgeous creatures, but there's so much power that they wield. You know, when I was 16, I got, well, 15-ish, I got my first car. It was a 1978 Buick Regal. Man, it was nice. Do you, how many remember those? Now, it was a V6. I didn't know much about um, engines or anything like that, but um, we had a guy who was going to the church who had a, a, a company or, you know, a, a shop or whatever, and so we bought this, and, and the motor was blown out, and so he was looking for a motor for us, and he says, well, I found the motor. It's a little bit bigger. I'm like, okay, tell me more. It's a little bit bigger. It's called an Olds Rocket 350. You want to? All the guys are like, oh, praise Jesus right there. I can feel it. I can feel the power. But I remember we found this motor, and they was like, okay. And, and, and then he, he did some language like, you know, you have a, I guess your transmission has to somehow bolt up to it. And it would bolt up to this. But he said, you got to be careful with it because you could blow the transmission out because it's a 350 with a V. Okay, does anyone understand any of that? I don't. All I know is that car was fast. I could go. And I remember after church, one of my buddies with me, we're heading over to a buddy's house, and I wanted to impress him. And so we're getting ready to get on the expressway. I'm like, dude, check this out. And I, like, kicked it down the low, and I'm like, wow. And then it stopped because I blew my transmission out. I was the coolest guy in youth group. Not. But you know what's funny is when it comes to motors, we have this term about the power it's called horsepower. There's a reason. There's something about the power and the strength of a horse. For thousands of years, we've used horses for just about anything, pulling, going to war, whatever, because they're strong. They're wonderful beasts. But think about this. With the little bit, with the bridle, with reining, you can control that power. And let's be honest, that horse is choosing to submit. I can't beat that horse up. I can train that horse. I'm sure it's uncomfortable, 
But let's be honest, that horse really wants to do something that's going to do something. And they're, they're powerful creatures. This is the idea of meekness. So much different than the weakness idea we have. Meekness literally means power under constraint. So it's like you have the power, but you're choosing not to wield the power. Now, isn't that a different way to look at it? Meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. And I love this proverb, Proverbs 16, 32. It says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Now, you ever watched one of these period pieces? You know, I don't know what show you may have watched, but you see these guys in armor and they're on the battlefield. And I'm like, those were real warriors. I mean, this wasn't flying a drone 4,000 miles away and, you know, in the comfort of a, a studio or something. These are like boots on the ground, heavy, you know, armor, heavy sword, going about it all day, hand-to-hand combat. This is the time frame in which this was written. And he's saying, he who rules a spirit is better than he who captures a city. In contrast, the individual who is not meek is likened to a broken city. Look at this in Proverbs 25, 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now I'm telling you, in this time, if you lived in a city without walls, you're toast. I mean, come on, you, you've seen something, right? It's usually like stone walls all around the kingdom or all around the main part of the city. And you've got sentries stationed, you've got lookouts. Why? It was protection. If you were a city without walls, you're done. Someone's going to occupy, they're going to take you over, they're going to put you into slavery. And he's saying this, that whoever has no rule over his own spirit, if you can't control the power or authority in which you have, you're like a city broken down without walls. In other words, you're toast. Meekness always uses its resources appropriately, unlike out-of-control emotions that so often are destructive. I heard another idea. In fact, Bishop Jamie Engelhart touched on this, and I've heard it from some others. Uh, He brought this up, that meekness is like having the power of the sword, but keeping it in the sheath. Isn't that just a different way to look at meekness? And we can see it by example. Do you remember when Jesus was about to be arrested? What did Peter do? He pulled out a sword, and he, he was trying to cut off the high priest's uh, servant's head, but he was a fisherman, didn't know how to use it, and he ends up slicing off his ear, right? And Jesus said, uh-uh, oh, 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 oh. put it away. Sheath that sword. Why? Because I and my followers are meek. And then what did Jesus do through his own demonstration personally on the cross? Here he is hanging on a cross, innocent, I mean, honestly, should be vindicated. He shouldn't be on this cross, right? And scripture says he could have called a legion of angels to protect him, to, you know, slaughter those who were slaughtering him. Let's just be honest. That's the language. I mean, the legion is referring to, in that time, Rome. This is soldiers. He had his own soldiers. He had his own army. And what does an army do to defend their king? They'll do anything. And Jesus refuses. He has the power. He has the authority. And he refuses. He takes that sword and he puts it back in the sheath. And what does he say? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm not saying it's an easy way to live. 
but it's the better way to live. It's the Jesus way to live. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Listen, I know it goes against culture. I know it goes against what feels normal. But again, this is why Jesus always rocked the world of those he talked to. Whether you're listening here in the first century or you're reading the words or hearing the words now in the 21st century, it's a challenge. We can say it like this. It's a tension that we must live with as followers of Christ. How do we take the power and authority that we have and keep it in the sheath? Whether we're, you know, a superior or we're a manager in our workplace, whether we're a parent or a mentor, anyone with power, authority, and position, we have the opportunity to either use our power and our authority to hurt others or we have the choice to sheath that power or sword and listen to others. It doesn't mean that we don't speak up. It doesn't mean that we don't correct someone. It means that we are gracious. We are gentle. We are meek when we use our authority. Can you see that? You know, Jesus said something to the crowd in the Gospel of Matthew, one of my favorite verses. He says, if you are tired and you are weary, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. And he says something after that, really important. He says that I am gentle. Some translations say meek. It actually can be translated into any word. It's that same word though, praus. He says, I'm meek and I'm humble of heart. And this is how Jesus deals with us. And he's saying, will you, with my help, with my strength, follow me and operate the same way with people? Will you be meek in every situation? And look what he says will happen if we conduct ourselves in this manner, which, by the way, um, it's already an internal quality that you possess. It's not something you have to conjure up. It's already there. It's just awakening to that. He says that we will inherit the earth. I think of this word inherit or inheritance. It's a family term. When you receive an inheritance or you inherit something, there's a relationship involved, right? It's usually a family relationship. So think about this. When your mode of life becomes one of meekness and gentleness, we will reflect the family in which we came from. Isn't that beautiful? How many know we're made in the image and likeness of God? This quality is already there. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Isn't that good? Verse 6, this is a good one. This is going to challenge us a little bit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. Now, at first glance, this verse can be seen as or taken as a performance-based idea. Right? Like, it's this continual hunger and this thirst towards righteousness that Jesus is looking for. And, and maybe not for you, but for me, this was a way of life for a long time. It was a constant trying to measure up, trying to seek after this, this righteous state that, that God had blessed me with, but I somehow have to do my work to keep it up without a show of hands. Anyone feel that? But is that really what Jesus is saying? In fact, if I were to ask you a few questions your answers could reveal what you feel about this verse. Here's a question. Do you ever have a nagging sense that God is displeased with you and unhappy with your performance? You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think about this because these are things I've struggled with in the past. 
Here's one. Are you resting in his righteousness or are you striving to make yourself acceptable to God? Again, I ask the question because this is like personal experience for me, trying to measure up. See, many believers are zealous for God. And, and listen, they have great intentions, right? They want to please God. I, I don't doubt that for a single moment because I was in the same boat. But here's the thing. Instead of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, sometimes we get into this mode where we actually have the tendency through performance-based ideas to become self-righteous. And so now we have this measuring stick. And it, it becomes so easy. And, and, and this is why. If we feel less than, we always look for someone who might look a little less than us. This is the, this is the, the, the wicked game we play right? Okay. I know that I didn't do this and that this week, but man, they're not doing anything. And so we start to do this comparison game. I don't know why we do this as human beings. We just have this tendency to compare ourselves to others in almost everything. But when it comes to this religious thing, you have people who are literally comparing themselves to others because they want to feel okay about themselves. When Jesus is trying to wipe that clean and say, that's not even how this is done. That's not even what that means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'll give you an example. How many are familiar with Martha in the Bible? Okay, Martha was the sister of Mary and Lazarus. Pretty much everyone knows Lazarus, right? When Jesus raised him from the dead. Uh, these siblings were probably some of the closest friends of Jesus. They lived in a town called Bethany. In fact, uh, Pastor Chris and I, we went to, um, it's pretty cool. I don't know if you've ever seen the show, The Chosen. It's, it's a really, really good show. Um, but season four, they're releasing in the theater. And so we went last week and saw um, episode one through three. It was so cool on the big screen. And then, and then we went um, just a couple days ago and we saw uh, episode four, five, and six. And what's interesting is the story of Jesus visiting Bethany came up. In this exact story, I'm going to tell you, came up. So Jesus and his disciples, they were on their way to Jerusalem. They, they made a stop at this home that was welcoming to them. And when they came in, Martha just had this gift of being a hostess. Like she was really good at preparing food and drink and, and serving people. And so she's going about her business. Meanwhile, Jesus is in the main living space and they're just all relaxing. They're, you know, she's coming in and out. She's serving stuff. Meanwhile, Lazarus and Mary, her brother and sister, were just sitting there like intent, listening to the words of Jesus. I mean, Mary, the way they played it was so cool. Like Mary's so into it. Just like every word Jesus said, she could only, you know, look at him. And Martha would come in and she'd do her serving. She'd do like, you know, some of you do like trying to get your attention like, hey, I'm working here. Are you not noticing this? She wouldn't have any of it. Mary couldn't even see her and she'd be like, oh, she'd get irritated and walk out of the room. It's just awesome how they did it. Now listen, what Martha was doing was not wrong. She was serving Jesus, right? But here's the thing. Martha, without even realizing it, was literally serving the Lord, but she was being self-righteous. She was a one-woman ministry baking cakes for Jesus. <laughs> Bringing drinks to Jesus. There was nothing wrong with that. And I love what Dr. Paul Ellis says. I love this quote. He said, and I wanted to get this. This is the important thing. Because what Mary was doing wasn't wrong. But he says, Martha's problem was not that she was cooking. It's that she wasn't eating the chef of heaven had come to visit and all she wanted to do was make sandwiches. Now, kind of funny how he puts it, but think about this. Everyone else is hanging on to the words of Jesus. This is close to the end of the life of Jesus. I mean, 
And you can get this sense, and I just love how in The Chosen they do this, this sense of he really wants the disciples to understand. Like he's literally telling them what will happen, and it's just flying right over their head, in one ear, out the other. And you can see this just anxiousness that I really want them to get this. And he keeps saying, what I'm saying is important. And so Mary is basically, they're in the room at his feet, Scripture says, listening to Jesus. Well, think about this, our righteous state, this right relationship. We're not made righteous because we bless him. We're made righteous because he has blessed us, right? The lesser has blessed the greater. And what I love is Jesus never condemns Martha because Jesus isn't like that. But he does say that her sister Mary made the better choice. Are you seeing this? The one who made the better choice was not the one who came with food, but the one who came with an appetite. She wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. It's not that Martha didn't. She was, I, believe, I believe she had a gift in hosting and doing what she did, but sometimes we have to know when to stop, when to slow down, and when to listen. We can get so caught up in serving the Lord that we forget the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, Matthew 20, 28 tells us. And the main dish on his menu is a hefty helping of righteousness. Do you want some righteousness? Jesus is offering it to you. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, yeah, Jesus is so good. I I want that relationship. He's offering it to us. Now, in that frame of mind, I want you to hear the words of Jesus in that light. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, what I love is Jesus didn't stop there. What are the next five words? Is it up on the screen? Say it with me. For they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Say it again. For they shall be filled. I love that Jesus said this. Sometimes we have a tendency to stop before we read the whole idea, before we read the whole statement. Do you know what the word filled here means gorged? Listen, Jesus doesn't mince words. He says, listen, blessed are you, happy are you, if you hunger and thirst after right relationship with God. Why, Jesus, why? Because that's just my mode of life? No, because then I will fill you. You will be gorged. I know that's a crazy word, but man, back in the day when I went to the Grand Blanc Chinese buffet, <laughs> I'd walk out of there. I'm paying the bill. I'm like, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> you want another crab cheese rangoon? Do you want some more General Souls chicken? No, no, no. Why? I'm gorged. I'm satisfied. I'm full. I'm not going to go back and help cook. There's nothing that I want to do with the food. Why? I am full. I am satisfied. You get the point. He fills us when we hunger and thirst and we come to him. He's not stingy with grace. He's not stingy with righteousness. When you partake of his righteousness, you are filled to the point of satisfaction. Listen to me. When you eat of the bread of life, you get a meal that sustains and nourishes you for eternity. You will never hunger again. Jesus said in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall what? never hunger, and he who believes in me shall what? Never thirst. He didn't say it's a temporary filling. He said you will never hunger and you will never thirst 
Again, listen to me, when you have had a hearty meal, the last thing you feel like doing is cooking or going for thirds or fourths. Come on, somebody. You just want to sit and digest and do what? Send your compliments to the chef. Thanks, Chef Jesus. This righteousness, it tastes so good, and I am filled. Come on, somebody. I'm being a little corny. I get it. But I want us to understand this. That's the most appropriate response to Jesus. How can you, how, think about this, how can you tell when someone has received the gift of God's righteousness? They just have that look on their face, don't they? It's the same look you get when you've been filled and content. Sunday afternoon after the restaurant at home on the couch sleeping, right? Drooling down one cheek and your wife's just so proud to have been married to you for all these years. <laughs> but you're filled, right? You're, you're, you're complete. You have everything you need. Maybe it's time to start resting in our identity instead of striving for one. In other words, it's time to stop hungering and thirsting for more of Jesus. Listen, Jesus gave you all he is and all he has promised. It's already done. Think about it this way. To hunger and thirst, I want you to hear, I want you to hear my heart here. To hunger and thirst is to lack something. Right? Hunger and thirst are terms used by orphans. When you're taught to hunger and thirst for more knowledge and revelation, guess what? You'll never be satisfied with Jesus. Now listen, I'm not saying that prayer and study and all these things aren't important. I'm just saying when it comes to your righteousness, what Jesus is telling us, he's not saying every single day wake up hungry for more righteousness. Well, then why would he say you'll be filled? You are filled to the brim. I love what Pastor Corey Rice says. He said, the crowds hungered and thirsted for what Jesus did. Therefore, they were never satisfied in who he was, resulting in never being satisfied in who they were. It's a vicious cycle. And I've seen it in religion for years. I've participated in it for years and years and years. That hamster wheel of religion, trying to measure up, trying to hunger and thirst after something. Listen, the hunger and thirst is a one-time event. It's like, I, I want a taste of the bread of life. Well, once he serves you, what's he say? You will be filled. Isn't that beautiful? We are all too often motivated to follow Jesus for what he does rather than for who he is. I believe it's time to stop longing for more of whatever you think you lack. The only longing you should desire is how you can give away what already belongs to you. Once you know your righteousness isn't tied to your behavior, but found in the person of Jesus, guess what? You'll understand. You're filled. It's a permanent thing. You're filled with purpose. You're filled with belonging and acceptance and value and righteousness. Why? In order to fill others. We all know that you can't be righteous by what you do, right? Enough of us have studied enough scripture probably to know this. You can't be favored or blessed because you give, you fast, and pray. Guess what? You are already righteous, favored, blessed, and anointed because of Jesus in you. One of my favorite translations to go to is the Mere Bible. It was written by a theologian, Francis Dutrois, and he says this. He says, we are designed to participate in our divine origin simply by reflecting, not striving. 
Look at the person next to you and say, you lack nothing. Hungering and thirsting for more isn't the gospel. We hunger and thirst. There's an invitation to Jesus to right relationship with God. And what, God, what Jesus is saying, do, do, you, do you feel that? Do you want that relationship with me? Do you hunger and thirst? Oh, you do? And you receive it and you accept it. And guess what? He fills you at that moment with all the righteousness you ever need, with all the relationship you'll ever need. I believe it's actually anti-gospel because if you're saying that you need more of Jesus, you're saying that Christ isn't sufficient. But Christ is sufficient. Now, I'm not saying, again, that we shouldn't read the scripture, we shouldn't pray, we shouldn't discuss theology with others. You should definitely do those things. However, those things don't gain you whatever it is you think you lack. Listen, you're already seated at the table. You're already welcome to the table. That's why when we receive communion together, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your denomination is. If you're hungry for something called Jesus and relationship with Jesus, especially if you've never made that decision for Jesus, say, yes, I will follow you. Yes, I receive the open invitation you've given me to relationship. That's why we welcome anyone to that because we believe that the Lord's table is open to everybody. Amen? So you're seated at the table, and get this, Jesus is thrilled to be in your presence. He knows you. So let's stop living like orphans and recognize our place in the family of God. So in conclusion, blessed are the meek, say meek, for they shall inherit the earth, choosing to sheath the sword or putting our authority and power under constraint is what it means to operate in meekness. And we know by scripture that Jesus showed us by example. He showed us this by example. And all he's doing is saying, will you follow my lead? Will you let me live this meekness through you? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love the last part. Thank you, Jesus, for saying this, for they shall be filled. So good. Our hunger and thirst for righteousness is what brings us to the place of realizing we need this connection with God. We awaken to what God has already initiated. He's already provided this right relationship. All we have to do is by faith receive the invitation to relationship with God. It's that simple. There's no hoops to jump through, there's no hurdles to jump over. It's simply saying, Yes, Jesus, I believe you provided this. I believe in who you say I am. I believe now's a good time to change my mind and see that the kingdom of God is within me. And once we receive that right standing with God, we are completely filled. There's no need to hunger and thirst after something we already have. Listen to me, I'm gonna say it again. We lack nothing in Christ. Now, do we grow on this journey? Of course, I'm still growing. I'm still learning new ways to see Jesus and to see myself. Come on. Is there learning along the way about what relationship with God means, what it looks like, how it works? Absolutely. Welcome to the club. That's what we're doing together, right? But remember, we lack nothing in Christ because the bread of life has caused us to never hunger and never thirst again. Now that's good news. Amen. Will you stand with me?
just close our eyes for a moment just to try to focus kind of on what we've heard and maybe take an internal gaze. I believe that when Jesus speaks, many times it challenges how we think. It challenges how we see. I was at a prayer meeting yesterday and it was so beautiful. The guy who was speaking said, he used this analogy of the sun, S-U-N, and I kind of pictured the S-O-N sun, but he says, you realize that when the sun shines, it's available to everyone. It's available. It's there for everyone to receive. But here's the thing. You have to make yourself available. You have to walk into the sun. And there's something about that step of faith that's so very important. You see, I believe that Jesus changed time and space for all eternity with his burial, his death, burial, and resurrection. I believe that on that that eighth day, that eighth sign we see in the Gospel of John, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, from that point on, new creation has been bursting forth. And we are invited to something. But here's the thing, a lot of times we don't see that something, do we? Maybe you're here today and you're like, I never saw that something, but all of a sudden today I am. Maybe you're online watching, you're thinking the same thing. Maybe you've already seen that and you've accepted an invitation, but maybe you have coworkers and friends and family who haven't yet. When we display this life of meekness, when we display this life of fulfillment in the right relationship we have with God, it extends that open invitation to others. And if you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, I want to accept the invitation. What do I do? Is there, is there something? No, you just accept it. Everyone here, just say this with me. Jesus, thank you for your love. I thank you that you offered an invitation to divine relationship to cause me to awaken to the connection that's already there. It's already provided. I accept. I receive it by faith. I step into the new life that you've made for me. And Holy Spirit, I'm open. Work with me. Anything you see, any lie I believe, bring me truth, Jesus. I want truth. We thank you so much for your love. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you know exactly what to say, what to do at the right time. And so we're listening to that still small voice. However that works out, each of us hear in different ways, but you're always speaking. And so we receive that. We thank you that you are in the business of helping us see the truth of who we really are. You convict. That word could seem so negative, but in the original language, it's convinced. You convince us of our righteousness. You convince us of right relationship and no one, no one, no one, no one can take that away. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. And God. For more information about Faith City Church, 
please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.